great to see you guys here tonight. Um, I'm going to open with this word of prayer, and then we'll get started working through um, uh, continuing our conversation on New Testament ethics. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day you've given us. Um, we thank you, Father, that uh, every time we have the opportunity to gather um, in, your, in your church as your people, uh, as the family of God, uh, that we are so blessed to be able to do that. Lord, I ask that each one of us um, would open our hearts and our minds um, to the truth of your word, uh, to the life you call us to, and that through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we would be able to become all that you've called us to be. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. So we started a conversation uh, about three weeks ago now, I think it is, um, for this session entitled New Testament Ethics, and it's really looking at the idea of what is it that we are called to as it relates to the life in which we live um, in light of the New Testament. Uh, ethics is ultimately really about that. It's really, the it's, really, it's really the concept of how then shall we live? How do we live our lives? Uh, what is right? What is wrong? Um, what is the ethic of being a Christian? Um, the reason why I think this is an interesting conversation, particularly as it relates to our Christian faith, is that so often we see um, how we should live, the rights and wrongs, the do's and don'ts of, of, the, of life, period, um, as the means of redemption, as the means of being righteous, right? So we have that conversation and we go, well, why do you live that way? Well, because I want to be a good person. Why do you live that way? Because I want to be right, because I, I want God to like me, I want God to judge me as good. And the reality is, when we talk about with the Christian faith, that's not really what makes you righteous, does it? Right? It's not the do's and don'ts. It's not the rights and wrongs. And so for a lot of us, we can find ourselves in a New Testament view or a new t an idea of Christianity that says, um, it doesn't really matter how I live my life. How many people run into Christians that essentially have that attitude? God will forgive me. Right? Well, I'm not saved by what I do or I don't do. It's not really about being a good person, right? That's a warping of the Christian ethic, right? That's a warping of the Christian understanding of our salvation. And so you've got to kind of wrestle with this idea of, okay, so what does it mean then? How then shall we live? What is my Christian ethic? So we've been, we've been walking our way through that. We had first two conversations on it. And so today we're going to continue that idea. Um, and so the idea today is about what does it mean... Um, how does ethics relate to us as new creations? Um, we are new creations in Christ. And so what is our ethic as it relates to being a new creation? We'll talk about that a little bit deeper as we get into the second part of this. But that relates to ethics and the church as a community of hope. So we, we as Christians um, are living a Christian life in community. We are new creations. And there is this idea about that new, new identity in Christ that leads us to a new hope. And what, what I, the statement I have there underneath that is, New Testament ethics carries with it an eschatological component important to the Christian life. How many of you have ever heard the word eschatology? Okay. Uh, eschatology is the doctrine uh, of the last or final things. Uh, it's the branch of theology which deals with the end of the world and man's condition or state after death. So, New Testament ethics carries with an eschatological component important to the Christian life. The blessed hope of every believer is reconciliation with Christ for all eternity. And so we live our lives in anticipation of that. Um, I've got there's a verse there, Titus 2, 11 through 14. Could somebody read that for me? Give it to me.
Okay, so you heard what was read there, right there in Titus, right? Do you see? Did you hear in that passage how Titus has um, both the elements of our current ethic, Christian ethics, and our future hope? Right? What does it? Say, what does he say in there? What he says in there: We are going. To, we live upright lives. We live lives of right ethics. We live lives um, that are in accordance with the teachings of Christ, in accordance with, with, with righteousness, in accordance with the gospel, as we what? Look towards our future hope, where we then find a reward, where we then find uh, our, our, our final uh, place in Christ. So what we see here is that in Titus specifically, and it's all throughout Scripture, but in Titus specifically, it lays out exactly the conversation we're having tonight. What is a New Testament ethics? Well, we live this life that Christ has laid out for us in anticipation of our future hope, of our eternal hope. So as I say, for, um, for the sake of this discussion, we are distilling the concept of eschatology to simply hope, our eternal hope, our future hope, our, our blessed hope. And so tonight we're talking about this idea of hope and ethics. Uh, this idea of our final resting place and, and our, the ethical standards that God establishes for us. For this conversation, I want to start in Matthew chapter 5, which is um, where we find the Beatitudes. And so we're going to have this conversation in light of, um, of Christ's uh, discussion on the Beatitudes. Um, so when you look through the entire chapter, and we'll kind of piecemeal our way through it, um, it'll be worth um, you guys reading all of, be, all of Matthew chapter 5 because there's a lot in there, and we'll kind of work our way through it and piecemeal it and, 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 and um, put it together. But um, the Beatitudes as ethical standards. So as we said, what we're talking about here is New Testament ethics, which is how God calls us to live as followers of Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes, as they're discovered in Matthew chapter 5, speaks directly to that idea, right? How do we live our lives? It's a multifaceted idea. It's a multifaceted concept. Um, um, and one of the things, um, open to Matthew chapter 5, and I'd like somebody to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and then 13 and 15. 13 through 15. Jump down to 13 through 15 then. So the, one of the important elements we need to understand is, as we talk about this, Jesus taught and modeled the Beatitudes for who? Okay, when we say us, who's the us? His, the believers, the elect, his disciples. That's what you see in that, in that, in that passage there. He, so the first, the verse, first, first, that's why it's kind of pieced together. The first verse, what does it say? Who came to him and sat before him and he began to teach his disciples? What's that? Right. Right. So, he, so the disciples came and he's speaking to the disciples. And then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Well, who, who is light and who is salt that he's talking to? It can't be the general population, right? It's not everybody. It's those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So when you talk about this idea, Jesus taught and modeled the Beatitudes. He's teaching and modeling the Beatitudes to disciples, right? There's no question that that's who he's talking to, that therefore he's laying out before us. And he says, this is then how you should live. This is then how you as followers of me should live. This is one of the reasons why, and I said this the first week, it's one of the reasons why for me, this idea, this idea of studying New Testament ethics is so, um, exciting is probably not the right word, but for me, stimulating spiritually. We have to understand that the, that the, standard, of new, the standard of ethics for 
New Testament believers is Jesus Christ. And I love any Christian discussion that centers on Jesus. Because that's what's important. That's what ultimately really matters. And so that's the conversation we're having here. Jesus taught and he modeled the Beatitudes. And in doing that, he's teaching and modeling the ethics for disciples and how we should then live. Now, as you read this, there's, there, is, um, there is a depth or there is a, um, uh, a breadth of teaching uh, that goes beyond what most people identify as, as, as ethics. So if we talk about ethics as this is then how you should live, and, and again, we're, we're pushing that back to that idea of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do this. These are all the, the do's and don'ts of being good, of being righteous. Uh, what Christ did here went beyond that because what he did is he taught both behavior and attitude. That how we then should live is not just simply in the things that we do, but the attitude we have, the heart that we have, the posture we have. Um, and we see this on a bunch of uh, multiple fronts. Um, somebody read for me Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Go ahead, grab it. Stop real quick. As she reads this, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to hear what he's saying. Think about it in those, in that, in those, in those, those two, those two ideas that are laid out here: behavior and attitudes. Okay, hear the words that he says, and and think about those those two um, elements as she's reading it. Okay, did you go past 10? Don't go past 10. Thank you. So uh, up to 10 there. So you kind of walk through those and blessed are, and walks, look, if it's in front of you, look through those, right? What is, what is the central idea of each of those beatitudes? Is it, is, it ad, is it actions or really attitude? Really, right? And it is both. Now, how is it both? Right. So, so as you look at this, these are really active attitudes, right? These are really these things like, blessed are those who are what? Give me one of them. Poor in spirit. Okay. Uh, what does that mean as far as the life you live? Lacking of pride. Lacking of pride. And so that, that, that is born out in a way. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's I, I like when the Amplified does that because it, 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 it pushes you into some other verses, right? When, uh, what, is, what does Scripture say about um, our attitudes towards each other, right? Prefer others above yourself. That's, consider others more important. Consider others, um, uh, submit yourselves one to another. These are all ideas that an attitude produces action. What are some of the other ones that are, that are there in that list? Peacemaker, right? Blessed are those who are what? Peacemakers. There's an action there that takes place, right? It's an attitude of peace that produces an action. What other ones do we see? What's that? Those who mourn. Yeah, well, those who mourn is, those who mourn is an interesting one because those who mourn is really about an attitude or spirit that we have that then God responds to. He's, he's really the active agent um, in, in that. But it's a posture that we have. Anything else? The meek. Yeah, right? So blessed are those who are meek. And what that does is meekness just isn't, it's actually a really interesting word in the Greek that I don't have time 
to necessarily press into. Um, uh, it's 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 the, Amer the the English translation of the Greek word there that puts it into meek is really um, not overly. Um, it doesn't convey the idea. Bob, go ahead with the amplified. <laughs> yeah, so it it's it's far more active than the word meek conveys. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. It's that. It's the idea. It, it really has. It really. It almost. There is almost a uh, an opposite of how we understand meek. So that's one of the reasons. That's one of these ideas when the translation comes in. It is really that. It's the idea that it is the it it, it ties with long suffering. It ties with the ability to say, um, uh, I can rise up, but I'm not going to. I can, I have the strength, but what I want to do is I want to prefer my brothers. I want to show mercy towards others. I want to live in that place. Uh, right. It's a form of graciousness towards one another. So what you see here in the, in the Beatitudes is, is a, an idea or a concept of Christian ethic. We live out this way from an attitude that we have been given. Now, now um, it, it, as you read that, as you read those ideas within there, it's very easy to see how Jesus Christ himself modeled this, right? Our starting point in this conversation was that Jesus Christ, Christ both taught and modeled the Beatitudes. Um, you see this, right? When you, look at the, when you look at the list of the Beatitudes there, and you and you and and you like we all just nodded our heads. Yes, Jesus both both taught and modeled this. Give me examples of where you saw Christ modeling maybe these beatitudes. Go ahead. Yeah, right. In so many ways, right? Meekness was evident in his ministry in so many places, in so many ways. As he was standing, bef as he was standing before uh, Pilate, as he was, as he was, as he was, as he would be accused by the by the Pharisees, right? So many situations in which that particular idea, that particular interpretation that we're talking about of of um, the the Greek idea that's being translated as meek is so. So set in Christ Himself. Someone else, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's another one that we didn't touch on earlier that I think is, is really great. That, that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yeah. That we hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's attitude that, that then translates into action, right? Um, you, you can't say that you hunger and thirst after righteousness and not pursue it, Right. Like you're going for righteousness. You're, you're attempting that. You desire that and you, and you pursue after that. Any other ones from there that jump out at you? Go ahead. Yeah. Right? The biggest one there for me is um, blessed are the peacemakers. The, that was the mission of Christ, right? That's what, that, that's what the, he came in the gospel to do, to make peace between us and God. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. So what we see here as we walk through this is we see the Beatitudes specifically as an example of where Jesus Christ established an ethical standard for us as believers in both attitude and actions. He modeled that, and he calls us to that. Um, go ahead, Bruce. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I, I wouldn't know enough about it to, to, to speak specifically to that, but I wonder how each of those probably builds on them as you kind of work your way, uh, as you kind of work your way up. Um, I don't have it as much in front of me to be able to actually say that. Uh, I think a lot of times, um, a lot of times we, we read things in Scripture and we, we, use, um, we use ideas of how to help people kind of understand the progression of faith and the progression of growth. Um, I think sometimes it's a, it's a helpful, um, uh, I think it's a helpful, helpful tool. Um, I think at most what we really ultimately need to understand is that the Holy Spirit works all of these in us because of the faith we have in him. And so, um, uh, Holy Spirit can do in our lives so much more than we have to worry about doing for ourselves. So, uh, any other thoughts on that before we step in? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a um it's an interesting road. Uh it's an interesting road to walk when you embrace that idea because in a, in a lot of ways what do we see there is we see the inverse of what, of what, how the world sees a pathway, right? A pathway towards blessing, a pathway towards life, whatever you want to say. Um, and even more so than, I mean, this is kind of a long, it's kind of a different, different trail to chase that, that I'll, I'll, I'll kind of let, I'll let go for now. So what we see so far is that Jesus Christ, um, taught and modeled the Beatitudes, and these, these we see very clearly as, as, um, uh, a holistic ethic. So it's, a, it's an ethic that is both a part of what we feel, what we believe, and what we do. So we see that Jesus Christ both taught and, and modeled that. It is, a holistic, it is a holistic ethic for the believer. And this is where we see the second half of the conversation that we're having here, that, it, that a reward is promised in the future and in the present. Somebody read for me Matthew five eleven through 12. So what does Jesus do there as he lays out this ethical standard for us to live? What does he do with that declaration? Okay, so it's going to suck to be happy about it. And why? There's a reward coming, right? Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what it does is it basically does it does what it does what what Christ always does, and what ultimately we're at called to do as Christians, which is we raise our eyes above the current circumstances. This this is this is a a part of being a believer, and I mean I I say this. I say this from a pastoral perspective as somebody who's been a pastor for lots of years and is constantly dealing with people who are in difficult circumstances. At the heart of the Christian life, which allows us to find, as, as Bob is pointing out here, joy, we are to lift our eyes above the circumstances of this life because we have an eternal view. We have we have a spiritual view. We have something that says, yeah, you know, like I don't have a lot of money, but I don't live for a lot of money. I live for Christ. Yeah, I'm, I'm in pain right now and I'm being mistreated right now, but I don't live for a lack of pain or for proper treatment. I live for something that's beyond that, that's above that. This is, go ahead, Nick.
Yeah, see that well, that's a good question because it gets into what I was right, right, what I was about to where I was about to go with this. Uh, as an example, Buddhism does that. What you just said is what Buddhism does. Buddhism ultimately has this idea of detachment. And they have a detachment from the things of this world because they basically say the things of this world aren't real. I mean, it's, I mean I'm, obviously, I'm obviously simplifying the idea. But essentially that, that suffering, good, bad, all these things are not important and so we just need to not be concerned about them. It's, it's a theology of detachment so that you can find this place of nirvana and find this place of peace. It's a fair way to describe it, isn't it, Bruce? Yeah. So, but we as Christians are not that. And there's a different reason for that, because we believe in a God who intervenes. We believe in a God who is alive. We serve a living God who has a pathway and has a plan and is at work. And so what we do is we don't, we don't, um, so, so as an example, using, 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 something, using something that's in Scripture to, to kind of describe this, it's a little bit different than what we're talking about here, but, and, and to a degree it really isn't. So, so Jesus says, do not repay evil for evil, right? Now, if I have a detachment idea about evil for evil, what I would do is go, so somebody does something bad to me, it doesn't matter because it's not real. I can live from a detached, and I can live in a place and go, I don't have to be, I don't have to go after you, I don't have to attack you because what's happening to me isn't actually real. It's not, it's not, it's not something. Uh, we, we, when Jesus says, do not repay evil for evil, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Why? What does he say? He says, do not repay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So I can sit there and I can go, I don't have to pretend that justice isn't something that's important. I can believe justice matters. Justice is important. But what I can say is I don't have to be the one who repays that justice because I serve a living God who will be the one who repays. So I can go, all right, Lord, I trust you. So, so, so as it relates to that, Nick, we as Christians don't ignore it or we don't, we don't, we don't live in this idea of it's, it's not important. It, it is important, but, I have a, I, but God is the one who will take care of it. And God is the one who will be at work in me to provide me peace in the midst of that situation and in the midst of those circumstances, I don't have to be angry at people. I don't have to be uh, resentful towards people. I don't have to be um, vengeful towards people because I can say, God, you are the one who is going to handle this. You are the one who's going to work at this. And I can have a, uh, uh, and, and as I was saying earlier, I can lift my eyes above and I can see why is that person doing what they're doing? Because they're, they're broken, because they're sinful, because they don't know Jesus, because they are headed towards judgment. And so therefore, I can look at them and I can go, my heart actually breaks for them because I know that they're lost and I know that they're, they're in pain. I know that they're hurting. And Jesus can be the healer. And I don't have to, ha- and I don't have my, and my, um, my value, my worth isn't connected to them. My value, my worth is connected to Jesus. And so I have this living God who's at work and he can comfort me and he can work in me. That's, that's, that's the significant difference where people, people who don't understand Christianity go to that kind of concept because they don't know the living God that we know. How many of you have ever been comforted by the Spirit in difficult times? <laughs> right? So if you don't understand that, if you haven't experienced that, then that's what you believe is happening for Christians, and it's not. We know God is alive. We've experienced him. He's been at work in us. Go ahead, sir. Right, and, and, and what for me what ends up happening is the life that non-believers live makes sense. It's reasonable if you don't believe in God. 
Um, it's reasonable. Vengeance is reasonable if you don't believe in God. It makes perfect sense. That's what you should do. Um, uh, pursuing, pursuing your own pleasure, pursuing your own whatever else, that ethical life makes sense if you don't believe in the living God, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that he's active. But it's why, we're so, it's why we would be so different from the world. It's also one of the reasons why I'm always confused by what the world does and how they try to incorporate Christian ethics <laughs> into their lives. I mean, that's, it's, it's always weird to me. I, I don't even understand it. Like, you don't understand your belief system. I've said this before. I can promise you, if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't care about anybody. I don't know why I would. It makes no freaking sense whatsoever. If there is no God, and all I have in this life is whatever amount of time I get, and then I disappear and I'm gone, then I'm going to live for all of my own pleasure. I'm going to live for all of my own enjoyment. I don't care. And if you aren't living for your own pleasure and your own enjoyment, you don't make sense. And that's cool. I'll take advantage of you then. Give me everything I can get from you. Because all we do is die one day. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The most logical life to live if you don't believe in what we believe in, which is our, our ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. So that's why living a certain way, having an ethical thing that shows love and mercy and compassion and grace towards others, um, makes sense as a Christian. Now, again, there are some people, I, I get that some people get a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure out of helping people, and, and so you're doing it for your own pleasure and your own joy. I, to me, I'd rather just get other kinds of pleasure. I don't, I'd rather not have to be bothered by helping you. That's, I mean, that's the way I am. But, um, but anyways, uh, we live for the, uh, so the significance of this is, is that as we're talking about here, we live for the future and we dwell in the present. So what we do is we say, this is what, this is what um, I'm living for. I, I know that there is an eternal hope waiting for me. And so I live for that. And that then affects how I live now. I want people, I, I live for Christ. And, I, and so we, we store up our treasures in heaven. Right? This is what, this is what Jesus tells us, right? Um, don't store up your treasures here on earth where, where moth and rust um, corrupt, but store up your treasures in heaven. And so what we do is we look at our lives and I go, listen, I don't, I don't want to take advantage of somebody to make another dollar. I want to show mercy towards people because, I'm, because, because I live not for um, the now, I live for the future, but I dwell in the now. And so there's an ethic that is... That is, that is lived out with, that, with an eye towards the future. Does that make sense? So this is what we see. And, and, and so what we do is we look to live um, that life, that, that, that ethic, that, that morality, um, uh, with, with an eye towards that. Now, how many of you as believers in Jesus Christ um, ever fall short of that standard? So, there's a few here don't right some of you are some of you are kind of like the standard yeah no oh i thought you guys were like me so uh, the rest of you guys fail regularly um that's why i'm a pastor because i've got it i've figured it out and so that's why i'm put up on stage that's right um how many of you guys believe that yeah that as pastors, because I'm a pastor, that means, right? Right, which is funny um, how many people say that, but how many people have ever seen Christians get, um, lose their faith because they saw some preacher screw up? Happens a lot, doesn't it? Right. Um, and yet, when I ask you the question, do you guys think that I'm perfect? Do you guys think that I, that I live a moral life? You guys respond really clearly. No, I absolutely don't believe that. The truth is, a lot of times what we do is we do look at others and we say that there's a standard to live, and if they're not living according to that standard, then somehow it shakes our faith. 
um, this is one of the things that I was talking about this actually we talked about this a little bit in men's group just a few a few few sessions ago I think and I and I shared with like from my from my perspective is I I don't share I don't preach I don't teach what I always live up to if all I ever taught on a Sunday morning was what I live up to we'd meet like maybe four times uh, yeah, four times a year. That would be it. I've got four messages I can deliver for you. Yeah, and a lot of times they'd be short messages. That's right. They'd be a lot shorter than what I do. But what I'm doing is the same thing you're doing, which is striving towards what God has called me to. Uh, is striving towards the standard that Jesus Christ set for us um, and the hope that he has for us. Um, but that, that leaves us with, with a, a bit of a wrestling um, which is this ethical standard for us as new creations. The Bible says we are new creatures in Jesus Christ. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. The old has passed away. And one of the first things that we see specifically as we look at the Beatitudes is Jesus actually has set a standard for Christians that goes above and beyond the law, right? Read for me um, Matthew 5, 21 through 22 and then 27 through 30. Yeah, 21 through 22, and then 27 through 30. And then 27 through 30. How many of you guys find that to be a somewhat challenging passage that Jesus kind of pushes us towards? Right? So when he says, when he says you've heard it said, thou shalt not um, commit murder, and you shalt not um, commit adultery, where does that come from? Directly out of the Ten Commandments. The law, I mean, the base of the law in the Old Testament. And Jesus basically says, and it's, it's further up in here um, that I could have had you read too in chapter 5 there. Jesus says, I, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Now he says that there in chapter 5 of Matthew as he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, as he's going through the Beatitudes, as he's walking through this whole passage. And then he goes directly to base law, right? Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then what does he do? He, he raises the bar. This is, again, part of attitudes and actions, but he raises the bar and he says, if you, now, again, remember the whole context of this conversation. Jesus is talking to who? Disciples, followers of Christ. And he's saying, guys, um, you've heard it said not commit, not commit murder, but I'm telling you, if you have hatred in your heart towards somebody, it's the equivalent of murder. And he says, you've read that shall not commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you lust after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. That raises the standard of the ethic that we as Christians need to believe, to live by. Um, how do we reconcile this idea that we are new creations in Jesus Christ, called to a new standard, and yet for many of us we fail? That's a part of this conversation that you have to kind of walk through. So what does that mean? Um, the truth is, um, the new creation, uh, the new creation at um, Christ's return is already inaugurated, but is not yet completed. And what I mean by that is, we are new creations in Jesus Christ, right? We are new creations in Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Um, and to, to back that up, um, somebody read Second Corinthians uh, five seventeen.
Are you past 17? You, dude, you just, you start reading the Bible, you can't stop. That's what it is, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, there, so in verse 17, it says you are a new creation, Jesus Christ, right? Um, so, so that is the established relationship. How many of you, how many of you know that to be true? Like, like, like you came to know Christ. Did all things pass away? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to challenge the idea that it was progressive and slow. Okay. Um, I agree. Some things were progressive and slow. Well, your response, your response in some way was, but here's, did not your thinking change instantly? Didn't you start seeing the world different? Didn't you automatically have different values, different priorities, different ideas? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, how many of us, how, like, how, there are things right now that we say that we, we, we you know, like, that we're, we just talked about, it. it's slow progression, right? But even the slow progression you're talking about, you now cared about something you didn't care about before, right? So, like, so, like, before you were, like, before you were, like, I mean, not, not all of you, but as an example. So, I slept, so I slept with this girl, I slept with that girl, I went out with this girl, I did this, I did that, and no big deal. Now all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I, I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and now sometimes you might screw up, or as or using using what we just read Matthew, where you go, um, I mean, for guys before you become a Christian, lust is not even a consideration, right? You don't even, it's like, should I feel bad for looking at a Playboy? Should I feel bad for, no, nobody ever did, right? Right, exactly. You're driven by that. Now all of a sudden you come to Christ and, and your perspective completely changes. So there is a new creation aspect to this that happens almost instantly. Go ahead. Yeah, right? So what ends up happening when there's actually a transformation, all of a sudden your eyes open up to something different, and you go, wow, that wouldn't have bothered me before, but now the Spirit of God comes and convicts us. There is an actual new creation element that takes place. Go, go ahead. Yeah, so, so there is that, that element very clearly that does take place. And yet, we're not perfect. We still struggle, right? So, so, so I, I wanted to make sure that we understand that reality, that there is a new creation aspect to it. But what we understand is it, it is inaugurated, but it is not completed. So there is something that takes place as far as the inauguration. We are changed, but it's not completed. And that's, somebody read for me Romans, uh, Romans 8, um, uh, 8 uh, 18 through 24. So in this that we're seeing here, we are new creations, but yet we are not perfect. So what does Romans 8, 18 through 24 say about that? 
Okay, remember that as the starting point of this conversation. Keep going. So what is the deck, so what it, what is the, all being laid out there by Paul? Paul is talking about the progressive hope that we have. There there has been a work of Christ in us. We are new creations, but even as we understand that, we are groaning for the perfection that is to come. This is this is why this is why this idea of we live in the ethic of Christ. Um, not simply for the now, but also for the future. And go ahead, Ruth. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think you are doing the right thing in the context of drawing the lines, the moral lines that Scripture draws and that Christianity draws. Now, the response that we take to those kinds of things um, is a little bit more complex than simply that. And I say that in this, in this idea. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, again, this is a little bit more complex, and there's a lot of different elements to it. I think, first and foremost, I think what you have to do is you have to respond to all these things as the Holy Spirit leads you. That's what I think you have to do. I think you have to, you have to respond to them in context of what the Holy Spirit is leading within, under the umbrella of the Word of God as our, as our guide. And so I don't know that there's always a yes, do this, or don't do this kind of thing. Um, part of it is people who are not believers in Jesus Christ are going to be people who are going to do things that are not in alignment with Jesus Christ. You guys have heard me say this, um, fish swim, birds fly, sin or sin. So people who are not confessing followers of Jesus Christ are people who are going to live in ways that are not there. Now we continue to push them towards truth and we continue to draw the lines but to me, that's always, that's always the crux of the problem. I, I mean, my starting point for people is always, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to be a follower of Christ? Do you want to believe in him? And if their answer is, no, I don't care, then my biggest problem is not what they're doing. My biggest issue is they've rejected Jesus and they're going to hell. So the doing is just a, is just a response to their being. 
Um, well, and then that's, then that's, the other, that's the other point. The other point then comes in is, okay, are you a follower of Christ? Yeah, and, that's, and so that to, me is, that, that to me is a bigger point because the bigger point then is if you are a confessing follower of Jesus Christ, you're in sin. And you can't tell me that, and, and if you're not willing to lay down whatever you're doing for the sake of Jesus Christ, then you're not truly a follower of Christ. That, that becomes the bigger, that becomes like an, another conversation at that point um, from there. Um, we do have to kind of wrap up because we've got a minute to go. There's some more notes there. Um, and we're specifically trying to make sure um, if you have kids, you need to make sure you get your kids like right away because our, our, the people who are watching the kids are going to stop watching your kids because they don't want to wait for you to come get them for 30 minutes. So if you have kids, please make sure you get them. At the core of this conversation is this. There is an ethic that God sets up for us that is both internal, that is attitude, that is posture, and it's living it out. We don't live into that always in perfection. But we are also living in anticipation of the perfection that is going to come because of Jesus Christ. We are called to follow him, and, and that is lived out in the ethic that God lays out. And I would encourage you guys to continue... Uh, spend this week looking through Matthew 5. Make that maybe a point of study. And really look at what, what that means as far as the life you live, the ethics that you have. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you give us to be in your word. Um, your word, Lord, is so illuminating, so uh, incredibly um, uh, elevating uh, to us as followers of Christ. I just pray that each one of us would press into the truth of your word and have it affect us and change us. In your precious name we pray, amen.